0: hear a song the first time, it's, uh, you know, it stands out to you, but it doesn't, you know, I just, I don't know, it didn't hit me as hard as it did this time, but you know, Kelly wrote that song some months ago, and uh, man, if you think about the imagery, if you were to just stop and think about that, uh, certainly in light of even our study of Genesis, it just brings so much to our minds, and it's very powerful, but anyway, I just, uh, encourage you maybe to go back and look over that, and hopefully that would be a prayer that you would pray yourself. So as we get started today, we're going to be in Genesis 24, and we're at 67 verses, and so uh, we're not going to read all those. Some of those I'll just pick up as we're moving through the sermon, but um, maybe just to set the context, I'll read verses 1 through 9. And so if you just stand with me, we'll read that, and then you can, um, we, we'll just kind of progress through, Hopefully. If you were in study or study time or together beforehand, you'll kind of know this. But maybe some of you would just um, maybe you haven't been able to read over this chapter yet. So listen to these words from Genesis twenty-four. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abram said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, "Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord." the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angels before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last week we learned of Sarah's death, and that's important contextually as we're looking at the study this morning. We found out that Abraham, he purchased a place for Sarah to be buried, and he believed God's promise that the descendants, his descendants, would receive the land that God had promised. He understood that, and he greeted that with great joy. And so as we're looking at this morning, we also said that there was something about the fact that God made a promise to them. And he made a promise about the land, and Abraham believed him, but he looked beyond just that physical land he He looked beyond just just saying, well, "My family will get this particular part of land." One person said as as they kind of thinking through this that Abraham learning to trust God in his situation, he looked to a reward that was beyond an earthly inheritance. He didn't have as clear a promise as we have of a heavenly homeland, but he looked towards it and he awaited it and he sought it and all of his life he was thinking of this heavenly city. There's something beyond the grave. He did not actually get to experience all the promises, but God did tell him he would receive a land and he hoped in that. And it's a beautiful picture for us as we too are hoping for the promised land in the sense that one day God will restore all things and we too will enjoy being in God's land and we will be His people and we will have the new heavens and the new earth and all the joys that come with that. It's a beautiful picture for us. So the last week kind of focused on the land, this week, Focuses on the people. And we're going to see that as you're kind of moving through this together. I think it's important to see that ultimately, in, in this picture, they're still waiting. They got one son that's the son of the promise. Abraham and Sarah only see this in little, just a small part. Ultimately, God says, Your descendants will be as the stars of the sky, and all they have left is one kid at the end of this deal one son who is now 40 years old and I just think it's important to say that because it's kind of one of those things where you're like good night what's going to happen how's God going to fulfill his promises of all these descendants and bless the nations with this one son who will be just like Sarah and just like Abraham very soon he too will pass And so I think this morning, if you were reading this as someone from Israel many years ago when it was first written, you would hear this and you would ask the question, what is God going to do? And you would see that God is going to appoint a wife for Isaac and they would have children and there would be children's children and it would begin to progress and it would continue and follow to this day. They would be saying that God providentially works over the whole of the world to accomplish His plan. And when He makes a promise, He will make sure that this promise is fulfilled. Now how would we read it today? It would encourage us. And I tell you, in this culture, in this climate, there's sometimes a little bit of a facade that we say, well, there's churches everywhere around here. But we realize in America that the church is decreasing in number. Every year, some years ago, I heard a statistic that 4,000 churches close their doors in America every year. And sometimes when you're looking at that and you say, well, we're right behind we are kind of following on the, the coattails of the people in Europe. And in Europe, the, the, the church is just greatly decreased. And then America, in some ways, some people say, look, they're following the same trend. And you think, what in the world's going to happen to God's people? What will happen with the next generation? Will the Lord find faith on the earth when all is said and done? And we ask that question over and over. And we say, Lord, will you bring this about? And God says to us, Christ said to us He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so today we can entrust ourselves to the providential God who reigns and rules over all. And you can entrust your families to Him. And you can hope in what He has promised to His people and He will bring it to pass. This today kind of points us there. And so let's pray together as we get started in this passage Father, I just pray that You would help us see that not only can You be trusted to provide us a place that we might dwell with You for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth. A place filled with blessing. A place where there will be no more weeping or crying or death or disorder. A place of joy. A place where Your presence is with us a place where we never feel far from You. But Lord, we also think about this morning that You will provide a people, that You are going to save a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, that You're going to resurrect a people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and bring them to life, that You are doing that even now. And I just pray, God, that we would be a people that cooperate with You in that. That we would, as Carl said this morning, proclaim the message of the gospel to those in darkness so that they might come to the glorious light. Father, I just pray we would see that this morning. You're working in this world and you're accomplishing your plan and you're bringing a people to yourself. May we hope in that as we see our world and all that's going on around us. In Christ's name, amen. So as we're looking here, we'll start in Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Abraham knows that he's about to pass from this life. He has a son, again, that's 40 years old. He's sitting there, and he knows that Isaac needs a wife and that he will too soon, and really, Israel needs a mother in a sense. The children of Israel, as you're thinking about that, Sarah has passed away. Her tent is empty. She There's no one there. There's no kind of securing of the future. Now, if you were kind of think about this, if Abraham fails to secure a bride for for his uh, son what would that mean that would mean no israel no offspring no messiah no hope for all the families of the earth it is one of those things where you're in a quandary thinking what is going to take place so what does abraham do he calls out to a servant and he says come to me and he speaks to him and he calls upon him to go and find a bride for his son It's a very kind of powerful picture as you think about what's taking place. And ultimately, this may be the man mentioned in Genesis 15 named Eliezer. And he was the one that Abraham said, will he be the one that that carries on my family? Will the promise be fulfilled in him? He he may be that one, but now he is acting as one who's going to secure the promise. He is going to go and speak uh, or go and find someone to marry Isaac. When he says, put your hand under my thigh, it's a picture of where we would say, maybe the easiest way besides going into all that, is when we say someone, put your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And we say, "Or so help you God, you say, I do. Do you you promise to do that? And, and, And it's kind of one of those things. He's going to do that. Now here's what he's going to do. This is kind of very powerful. Look in the text here in verse 7. Um, as you're looking, I just want to read that back one more time. He says, um, verse three, actually, sorry, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from this land. Now, here's the thing to, to swear to the God of heaven and the God of earth. That's a theme you see throughout scripture that God's heavenly reign and God's earthly reign. It's saying, now here's the thing, they are living in a world where there's all kinds of gods out there, and he is saying, my God, this God that you are making us swear, uh, you're swearing by, he is the one who is God over everything. He rules and reigns over all. And there's a certain element of this, if you were sitting there making this kind of this declaration, you would think he's kind of a little nervous. It doesn't matter where this servant goes now, guess who's watching And so there's a daunting thing. But then there's another thing about this. It helps you see there's a security in it because God is not just like the Canaanite gods who dwells in this little land, but He is all over. So that when this servant travels a thousand miles, he knows that God is there, that God is sustaining, that God is ruling. And I think that's a very powerful Picture for us he is the God over all of the earth now what is Abraham well let's stop there just for one more moment I want you to hold your place there and if you have a chance turn to Daniel chapter 4 because I want you to see actually as you're moving to the land that that God has sent him he's getting close to the place where Nebuchadnezzar was not quite you know not there but close to there but one of the things in Daniel chapter 4 is when we try to think about God and I think that's important This passage is filled with thoughts about God. One of the things the other day, Bobby and I were studying through uh, Daniel, and he was just saying, the Old Testament seems just to explain God to us. It gives you a, a view of God, a grand view of God. This chapter is loaded with great and grand views of God. He is the God of heaven and earth. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, the background is this. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world at this time. He has stood up on, on top of... The, the, there's a wall around the city. He looks around and he says, look at everything I've created. Look at all that I've done. In his pride, he is standing there saying, like, I am the king of the universe almost. And he's all powerful and all great. And he's so proud of who he is. And then all of a sudden, God strikes him. And Nebuchadnezzar, for maybe it says a period of seven. I don't know. Is that seven years, seven months? We don't know exactly. But he crawls around on all fours and he eats grass in the field. And he just he just moves around and he, it says his hair grows out really long and his nails grow long and it's just nasty and he's just crawling around eating this grass. And Rick Ashley and I were talking this week. I mean, we can't just eat grass. It's impossible. So somehow God even working in that, that He's able to do that, but He's just like a, a cow out there walking around the field crazy and losing His mind. And then God awakens Him uh, to, to like His condition. In verse 34 it says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of earth are counted as nothing and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Now you can go back to Genesis, but I want you to get that in your mind. He is the God of heaven and the God of earth. He reigns supreme. He is authority over all. There is no one higher than Him. He is the God of all. He controls all. He will always exist. And there is nothing outside of His sovereign hand. There is nothing that comes in your life apart from His sovereign hand. Everything that comes to us is mediated through the reigning, sovereign ruler of the universe, the King of heaven and the King of earth. And so he's saying to him, as you pray this prayer and as you're seeking the Lord, you understand that He is the one who reigns supreme and He is watching over you. And then he goes on to say, not only is God someone who reigns supreme, but He has spoken. Look at verse 7. He speaks to them, the Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house. Abraham says, God who is reigning supreme over all, the ultimate sovereign who will always reign over the earth, He spoke. And He spoke to me. And He called me out from the nation of my father's house and the land of my kindred. And He said to me, to you I will give you these things. And I will make you a great nation. This God who reigns supreme over all has spoken to me. He has called me out from the nations to be His possession. And when He swore, He will bring it to pass. Now go forward. Now you go and you go and speak to this, I mean, you go and find this young lady. I do not want my son to get one from the Canaanites. Now Why? you kind of think, well, you know, if Abraham was thinking very wisely, if he was kind of in the land, he's already a wealthy man, but he doesn't have a lot of land. Maybe he could find a princess, marry up Isaac with her, and he could help God get him the promised land. But Abraham knows that this has not worked before, nor will it work again. Throughout the history of Israel, if they were reading this, they know God said, do not marry among these people. They are pagan people. They do not know God. They keep walking away from the things of God. Ultimately, they worship all these false gods and one day God is going to completely annihilate these people and judge them. He tells Abraham that when the iniquity of the Canaanites is complete, after 400 years of your people living outside the land, you will return and Israel will be God's means to execute justice on these rebellious people. And so there's something here, I think it's just important that you see this, that Abraham is saying that he is not going to marry among these people, but God has led him now, he's going to go back, get a wife for his son, and, and, and they will be married and he will be separate from these people. God has promised to do this and He will bring it to pass. Now bringing it down to the ground floor, if you are God's child, do you find yourself feeling secure in Him? Do you see that His promises stand? Do you understand that when you worry about this present world and what's going to happen to the church or in your own life or as you see all of these things playing out, can you run to this promise of who God is, that He's sovereign over all and that He is orchestrating the events of men? I just think it's important that we see that. And I think it's important that the church understands that, that you and I grasp this today. And as you are trying to raise your your children in the Lord, or you're trying to live a godly life, and you just see that God is working in all of these things, this is so comforting that you know that God is sovereign and orchestrating the events of life. Now as we move forward, look at verses 10 through 28. We're not going to read all this portion, But I just want you to note this. Now we see the servant has made the promise to Abraham. He gets up and he travels probably around, uh, I mean, I don't know how many miles exactly, but probably uh, from what I understand, it was probably a month long journey. And he's traveling along and he's going to this land, to to, to Nahor is where he's going to the city of Nahor. Now, Just to give you some background, remember that Abraham. there were three sons in Abraham's family. It was Abraham, it was Nahor, and it was Haran. Now Haran passed away and Lot Lot ended up going with Abraham and he was the son of Haran and so that's gone. But Nahor stayed in this land and so he knows that his brother is there or his brother's family lives there and so they travel. And this city actually takes the name of his brother and so the servant goes there. And as he's there, look at verse 12. I just think it's important. The servant begins to pray. And he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please, let down your jar that I may drink, and that you that you shall. I'm sorry, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. What's he doing? He is praying a prayer that is tied to covenantal-like relationship where He's saying to them, He's saying, may You show me success because of Your steadfast love. You have promised Your covenant love upon Abraham. Now may You show me success in this process. I need to be successful, but I need Your help, God. I need You to intervene and I need You to strengthen me. Now look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking... Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah and the wife of Nahor. Again, before he finished, God is moving. Abraham has said, the Lord who will send His, he will send his angel ahead of you. Before the man ever finished his prayer, God had already been orchestrating events so that He would face her and that He would see her. Now you notice something about her in verse 16. She's beautiful and she's a virgin. The idea here is she has prepared herself and waited for her marriage to come together. She she is she is a woman prepared for a husband. She's not been out living outside of God's ways. She is one who's in, a pure woman who's walked really in a way that's honor, honoring to her husband as she will marry someone. She she's one of, she's it's a beautiful thing to see her not only in that way but also to see her as she begins to serve. And you'll see that as you're moving forward. Now, this man has ten camels. Some people, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not a camel person, right? Never really hung out with camels. One time I had a a chance to get on one. I was like, I just don't know if I'm down with that. And so, you know, some of my friends did. They rode the camel or whatever. But one of the things about camels is that they can like drink large volumes of water and then they don't have to drink anything for a long time from what I understand. And one of the things that's noted here is not only is she going to uh, like offer this man something to drink, he's going to ask and she said, I'll give it to you. But she's also going to say, hey, I'll also like water your camels. And as she's doing that, some people, again, would say that a camel can drink like 25 gallons at a time. And so they've been on a long journey. That's like 250 gallons. Not only that, the little... The, the thing that she would dip the water out of, oftentimes they said it was about three gallons. So that means like 80 scoops of three gallons of water. Go back down, come back up, and feed all these camels the water that they need. It's a very amazing picture. She takes a heavy burden on herself it's tremendous hospitality so not only do we see her as a pure woman a, a a woman that looks in a way that would be pleasing to her husband as she she comes to him because she's kept herself both pure sexually but also she is a servant a tremendous servant it's it's a wonderful thing so she goes through she does all of these things she she takes care of the camel she takes care of the guy and at the end he gives her some jewelry he offers her Jewelry, and then he asks her about lodging, and she begins to tell him who her family who's her family. And then the family members are actually the ones that that, that he was looking for. He finds out that, that this is Abraham's family. And now this young woman, who's a beautiful virgin, who's a servant, is part of the family. She is there, and we see her there, and it's a very powerful thing, and she offers him a place of lodging for himself and his livestock. Now notice his response. Verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. How often do you stop? Man, I, I find myself sometimes just... I just pray and I'll think, Lord, please change the situation, Lord. Please work this out. Lord, I need You in this moment. And then He'll answer it and I'm just like forgotten. I don't stop and praise God and thank God and He stops and pauses and worships. Everything about this story is a recognition that God reigns supreme, but also that He is encountering people and as He does so, these people are responding in worship and in thanksgiving and just blessing God for His goodness. We have lost that, I think, sometimes in America because we're so discontent with every aspect of our life, with our work, with our home, with our families, with this and with that, and not overwhelming joy and thankfulness to God who has sustained us and is watching over us and is guiding us. Our worship reflects what we view about God. And He bows before the Lord in thanksgiving. As you keep moving forward, in verses 29-31, through Then this this servant, he shows up at the house where Laban is there and and the father is there and he comes there and he begins, uh, really first Rebecca tells her brother what's going on. Now it's kind of interesting to me. We're going to hear more about Laban. He's kind of a tricky guy later in the story of Genesis. But one of the things he does is it kind of notes that he sees the gold on her arms. You notice that? He sees the bracelets on his sister's arms and he hears the words and he's thinking, wow, this is an opportunity. And so he runs out and he wants to meet the man and he brings him into his house. And then in verses 32 through 35, you kind of see, so the man came in the house and his camels and gave them straw and fodder for his camels and washed his feet. And he sits down to feast among the people. And as he's sitting down to feast with his family, he just stops And he stops and he says, I must tell you first what's happened. Y'all need to know what is going on in this moment. Because it's very important for you to understand that I am am here on a mission. And he's here to get a wife for Isaac. He says that he tells Laban and them that that Abraham is amazingly blessed to the Lord. And not only is he blessed to the Lord, but now his son Isaac needs a wife. He tells him of his journey and the promise that, that God had had given him, he said Abraham had said to him, You had better make a promise to me that you will go." And he tells him about that, and he tells him about the promise he made to Abraham, and he tells him about the prayer that he asked of the Lord to do something mighty, and he tells about meeting Rebekah and he tells them all that's went on, and he lays that out for them very clearly. Now the question is because there's all these struggles going on in this story, the question is, how will they respond? And he asked them that. Are you going to be like God is to Abraham? Are you going to show steadfast love to Abraham as God has done? You're kind of left with this question. There's a lot of unknowns. But then they say, of course we will. The Lord has done this. We believe this. And the servant again bows in worship. And he praises God for what God has done. It's a very important thing to see. Now after this happens, he brings out all these treasures. Now here's the thing. Back in the old days... Some men think that um, it's, uh, you know, it's expensive if you have a daughter. Well, back then, if you wanted uh, your son to have a wife, it was costly. There was a bride kind of price. And so he had to bring out all these things. He had these 10 camels and some of them were loaded with all kinds of goods. And he brings out all these presents to the family and he gives some more things to Rebecca and and he just blesses them and he sits down and eats. He goes to sleep and wakes up the next day. And there's another struggle. Notice in verses 54 through 61 here that it comes to this place where you're kind of wondering, oh, good night, what's going to happen? Laban says, and his mom says, I don't know, maybe you should let her stay with us for a few days. We're not sure that we want uh, Rebecca just to go over, go back with you to find Isaac. And the servant says, man, you've got to let me go. And they say, well, let's just ask Rebecca. What, What will she say in this moment? And Rebecca comes out and she says, I will go with this man and i will go to my future husband and she steps out in faith really to turn away from she is called out of that land and she is going somewhere that's a month-long journey probably never to return again it's a very beautiful story as we're seeing this unfold and they they bless her and they say wonderful things over her and these things will come to pass And that's kind of what's going on in this story. So again, we go back and you think about Abraham speaks to his servant. His servant says, I will go. Abraham says, God will give you success. The servant goes to the land. He travels for a month. He gets there. He meets this girl. And the girl does everything he asked God that she would do. And not only that, she's a part of their family. And not only that, she says, I will go. And now you get to this place and we think, well, what's Isaac going to say? Because all of a sudden, Isaac is there and you're thinking, what How's he going to respond? Notice what happens in verses 60 through 2 through 67. Now Isaac had returned to Bir Lahai Roy. Y'all think that's right? Close enough, right? And was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac returns. He lives in the southern region. He goes outside, and he's... He's sitting there meditating. I mean, the idea you would think is that he's thinking about God and he's praying to God and he looks up. And all of a sudden, he sees the camels coming and he surely wondered what was going on. And he probably thought, maybe my bride has come. And she comes to him and she dismounts really from her. And he takes her and he says, I want you as my bride. And he takes her in and they consummate the marriage. And it's a beautiful story here. It's a powerful story. But not only that, it says that Isaac loved her. What a powerful thing you think about. He loved her. He pursued her with a covenantal love. And you see him do that. And we see that over and over and over throughout the story, Isaac and Rebekah. And I think this story is a wonderful picture for us. Now, what could we come away with with this? Just think about a few things. One, I think we see a father seeking the welfare of his son. I mean, there's certain aspects of just a character issues where you see the father trusting in God and seeking the welfare of his son. We see a servant masterfully, just just masterfully and dutifully accomplishing the plan that his master has told him to. We see a young woman who is pure and prepared herself for a future husband, and not only that, we see her uh, as a servant and one willing to give up of herself and come. We see a young man take his bride and love her. We see a God who is sovereignly working over all these things. Now, what does that mean? And I just want to stop there just for a minute. We would call that providence. It's not God saying, look, I'm going to change all the things and I'm going to do something supernatural. It is God working through the affairs of people. He is accomplishing His work in the affairs of men. And He's, He's doing that. He's guiding the universe. God's works of providence, what one person says, is the are the holy, wise, and powerful acts by which He preserves and governs all of His creatures and all of their actions. We know this God who reigns over all. And we see in this story His sovereignty over all things. But not only that, I think this is where it really kind of gets down. We see God preserving The seed of the woman we learned about in Genesis 3. We see him preserving the people that he promised in this story in a mighty way. We see that over and over in Scripture, but over and over everything seems, all hope seems to be lost, and then God will step in and move, and He will orchestrate the events that everything will be transformed. In Luke chapter 1, we kind of come to one of those places, and we're not going to turn there this morning, but I just want you to understand there was a young lady in Luke chapter 1 who is sitting there, and the Lord speaks to her. And the Lord says, you are going to be with child. And she says, but I'm a virgin. And He says, the, over, the, the Most High will overshadow you. And He will bring about the conception of a child. And this child is one, a part of the promise, the fulfillment of the promise. It is King Jesus who has come. And He makes that promise and He accomplishes His will. And you know how Mary responded, I, the servant of the Lord, will do as you have said. And I think it's just important for us to see this morning That God is saving a people. He is bringing a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all along the way we think, good night, the hope is lost. And we look in our world and we think sometimes hope is lost. And you look in your life sometimes and think, good night, what's going to happen? But God is working to fulfill His promise to the whole world through His Son. And He makes that promise and He does it and He brings it to pass. We look at our churches in our world that we live in and we look across the globe and maybe in our world we think it's so secular and there's so much materialism and there's so much that doesn't really look like the pure church or we look around the globe and we think, I see all of these people who are facing great suffering and trouble as they seek to live for God. What will happen? And we know that God has promised that He will save a people for Himself. He will bless them, and He will accomplish His work. He can be trusted. And I just encourage you this morning, wherever you are, come to understand, I hope you will see, that God is working in your life to accomplish His purpose. He is preserving a people for Himself. He is sovereignly doing this. He is governing over all the events in human history to bring about what He has for you and for all the people of God and He will bring it to pass. And I just ask this morning, have you come under His rule? Have you come to a place where you have said, I trust in the sovereign God who is King of heaven and earth. I trust in Him and I, I turn from my sins to trust in Him to save me and rescue me. I, I trust in His Son who came and gave His life for me that He died so that I might live in Him who was crucified and buried and rose again on the third day. Have you come to Him and trusted in Him? As His people here this morning, are you trusting in Him to accomplish the work that He's promised to do? A lot of our Christian life is spent in saying, Lord, I cannot see. I will trust You to do what You say that You will do. Will you follow Him in that? I ask You this morning to do so. In Christ's name, let's bow, please. Father, we just come to you today. We are reminded that you worked in this story like you have worked for hundreds and thousands of years. You reign and rule over all and you're working to accomplish your will with your people and you can be trusted. Lord, I know there are people here this morning that are wondering whether you can be trusted. That are worrying over things that they cannot change. That are wondering if you still reign on the throne. Lord, I know there are some here this morning that are doubting whether You will accomplish what You say that You will with Your church, with their own lives, and the lives of their children. May they go back and read this story and see that You will bring Your people to Yourself and You will finish what You started and You can be trusted to do so. May we be a people filled with hope May we have a resolute faith this morning. In Christ's name, Amen.